What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Adherent Apologetics. Thank you for joining us. Uh, really excited for today's conversation. Today, I'm with Kyle Allender. He's from Christian Idealism. We're going to be talking about, namely, idealism. And what's up, Kyle? How are you doing? I'm good. Glad to be here. For sure, bro. I think you're probably one of the smartest people out there. You always have those like crazy long syllogisms that you send to like our group <laughs> chat and stuff. So, yeah, well, those syllogisms I got. I get most of those from my other friend, pessimistic idealism, but we, we kind of work on them together. Um, but yeah, I mean those, cause I've been, I've been working on newer arguments um, for idealism and also new arguments against physicalism as well. So I've been getting, I've been able to get like different types of arguments um, from different philosophers that existed today and those that existed in the past. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I feel like, if I'm going to argue for idealism, I have to have really good arguments, right? Um, or if I'm going to argue against another position, I'm going to have to be more clear about what type of arguments I have, right? Um, so that's what I pretty much do. I also have like philosophical, well, not phil well, probably not, sorry, physical art, like arguments with quantum mechanics is also a route that I typically go, though I, I think... Um, I had to be a little more cautious there because quantum mechanics is a whole big field and there's a lot of controversies. So I mainly just focus on the philosophical. I try to at least. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I guess definitely. And I'd encourage everyone, if you don't follow um, Christian Idealism, Kyle Anders, Kyle Allen, there's a link in the description below. So you can go sub to him. Really good stuff, man. So before we dive into the idealism stuff, can you just talk a little bit about like who you are and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, so I started off on YouTube like probably three years ago, but then I, I never really started actually making formal videos until much more recently. Um, so I just kind of get a little backstory. So like probably like six six years ago at this five or six years ago um, was when I started to really doubt my faith, and um, I, I was watching a lot of YouTube atheists at the time. Now most of them, of course, were not as philosophically minded. Um, as like Graham Oppie, for example, like obviously their arguments are not as good as like the actual arguments that atheist, atheistic philosophers use, but I was still challenged by the lesser, weaker arguments at the time. And if it, I would say that if it wasn't for me, I'm finding Michael Jones's um, video or his channel, I would probably not, not have never gotten into it. Um, so I thank Inspiring Philosophy for actually inspiring me to actually you know do this sort of thing um and then i it's weird because i never how should i say this so when i first got into idealism i didn't even know what the philosophy of mind was at the time like i had no clue like i didn't even i didn't even know what dualism was until after i figured out what idealism was um so i it was something that you know the first time i heard it it's like, okay, well, I don't really understand what this means. Um, so I just accepted it. And then, of course, then I learned about the other views. So there's, you know, there's substance dualism, there's property dualism, there's hylomorphic dualism, then there's physicalism, and then there's different types of physicalism, which we'll get into later. Um, there's also different types of idealism as well. But, uh, but yeah, I guess when I first started off, I, I didn't really understand really anything. Um, it wasn't until I really started looking into um, the scholarly literature that I had to, I guess, 
um, understand what I was um, studying. And uh, so now I just do philosophy. Um, philosophy of mind is my major focus. I'm also getting into New Testament studies, but I still have a lot more to look into. So, you know, I admit I'm ignorant on that subject, but when it comes to philosophy of mind, you know, I'm pretty, I wouldn't say, I'm not a philosopher, of course, but I think for a layman, I, I've, I've studied it pretty, pretty deeply. So, uh, so yeah. Yeah. I'd say for sure, from what I've seen from you, you know, a lot more philosophy in mind than I do. I barely know I like anything like yeah. I'm kind of lost. Be almost we could be on like idealism, physicalism, dualism. So I think it'd be helpful kind of at the start, if you just kind of define terms a little bit. So talk about like, first off, what's philosophy of mind and then talk about like the three main camps you have physicalist, dualist, and idealist. Okay. So philosophy of mind is the study of, well, the mind, right? Um, it's, it's not just about like the neuro. So we're not just talking because like when we talk about neuroscience, right, we're studying the brain. Well, that's not technically the mind in the strict sense. When we're talking philosophy of mind, we're dealing with the mind itself, right? How we come to even understand the world. Um, and I think if you're going to do philosophy of mind, you really need to introspect. So you can't just, you can't treat philosophy of mind as like this abstract thing. It has to be something that's within your own mind. Like you have to introspect and really think about um, just your own mental states, right? So when, you, you're, when you're thinking of something, like you have to think, okay, is this thought that I have, is this thought just some neuron in my brain or is it an actual, or is it something completely, completely different? And I think philosophy of mind, um, again, it's a very, it's a very complex topic because there's a lot of terminology in there that can really confuse people. Um, so there's three main camps in philosophy of mind. Um, and these, of course, there's other views that I could get into, like um, just briefly mention them was panpsychism and then cosmopsychism. So I'll, I'll mention those a little later, but the three main camps, you have physicalism or materialism, and there's different camps within that, right? Um, but I guess if you were to unite all of physicalism, if you were to, you know, describe it in one definition or something, the definition of physicalism is simply that all is physical, that the mind is simply just a, also a physical thing, and everything that we experience is physical. Um, so it has one substance, it's a type of monism, so everything just is physical. Um, now there's different um, of course, there's subcategories within physicalism, but that's kind of the overall definition. And then dualism would be kind of going a little um, different. So dualism is where you have both the physical and this other category we call the mental. Basically, under dualism, you would say that there is a world outside. There's a world beyond my conscious experience um, and beyond all conscious experience. Um, but then there's still a consciousness. There's like this irreducible consciousness that you can't, you can't take mental states and then reduce them to that physical world that's out there, so to speak. Um, I guess that's the, so basically under dualism, you have both matter and mind that are both fundamental in some sense. Like you can't reduce one to the other and that's dualism. That's why it's called dualism because there's two, two substances. Now idealism is, again, there's a lot of categories within that. But if I were to unite all of idealism under one category, it would be that all that exists is the mental. Now, you may ask, well, how come we don't call it mentalism, right? Why is it called idealism? Well, the reason why it's called idealism is because under idealism, 
the whole world is basically an idea. It's a thought. So basically all of reality is, you can call it either one thought or multiple thoughts or doesn't really matter. But basically all that exists are just ideas or an idea. And basically what an idea is, is just a thought. Um, and of course, within a thought, if you have a thought, then you're also going to have consciousness, right? And so under idealism, you would say that consciousness is all that really exists in nature. Um, and when I mean by consciousness, I'm not talking about your consciousness or my consciousness, but rather we're talking about the category of consciousness itself. Um, so I can get a little more deeper into what I mean by that, but uh, those are the three those are the three main camps. And then of course, panpsychism. Panpsychism is kind of weird because um, some some uh, like some nat like you could be a naturalist and call yourself a panpsychist. So you could say that um, all of matter has like consciousness themselves. So basically, you can't really distinguish between matter and consciousness because well, consciousness is like kind of like glued on to matter, so to speak. Um, so like an electron, for example, has a certain consciousness to it. And then cosmopsychism is a little different. So that one's a little more complex, but basically under cosmopsychism, you wouldn't say that particles are conscious, rather you would say that the universe as a whole is conscious. Um, so it's a little different, but um, those are the, I guess those are all of the mainstream positions out there. Mm. So, yeah. So I think let's let's start off with just kind of like talking about some arguments for idealism, because obviously you're an idealist and then we'll kind of go into physicalism because that's probably the biggest that's where most atheists would fall under. Um, yeah. So let's just very briefly, if you could just if you were going to describe idealism to like a 10 year old who has no no idea about philosophy of mind or anything like that, how would you describe idealism to them? So there's a few things we need to kind of keep in mind so the first thing is to realize that idealism is not a type of solipsism so under solipsism you would say that it's only your mind that exists and that there is no external world beyond your mind mm -hmm. that is not idealism so i just want to make that clear um because there's a lot of people that will confuse that so when you say because then I, as an idealist i'll say that all of all of reality is mental but then they'll equate that with some type of solipsism which it's not so i guess to briefly simplify it there is a world out there that exists outside of my mind, outside of your mind, outside of everybody's mind. So basically there is an objective reality out there. Now, this is the catch. The objective reality that's out there is not a mind independent reality. Rather, the objective reality that exists out there is what is called a transpersonal thought. Okay, So basically everything that exists out there are just transpersonal thoughts and what what does that mean well it simply just means that the the outside world that's out there is still mental it still has the it's still the same category we would like like we have thoughts for example right like if you think of the number the number one or the number five like those are thoughts in your mind well in the same way there are thoughts out there outside of our minds but they are transpersonal because they don't exist inside of human minds rather they exist in what's called you, some some uh, you could call it God or you could call it like an absolute mind or whatever. But there's there's a thought that exists. There's thoughts that exist out there in the world that are independent of my mind, independent of your mind, and that's basically just you know you can call them mental processes or whatever. Um, and that's pretty much it. Uh, I guess that's the simplest way I could um, describe 
um, what, what, what I guess the simplest way you could describe idealism. So, mm. yeah. So, yeah, it's a good basic description. We are going to be doing a Q&A at the end. So if you guys who are listening have questions, we'll hit some of them up at the end. But so just I want to kind of like summarize your view because I, because I'm very, very uninformed on idealism or any of these things. Um, so in idealism, you have, I don't even know how to describe it. It's just like, um, so everything comes from our thoughts, essentially. Is that kind of what you're saying? Not our thoughts. No, I would say that it comes from a thought. So you can call it God. Okay. Um, you can call it like an absolute mind or another another way you can call it as is, is something called immediate experience now that's that's kind of complex but so i wouldn't say that the world comes from us right that we don't create the world there's there's still an objective reality out there it's just there's there's this there's this mind out there that created the world so again you can call it god or not doesn't really matter um but basically that all of reality is mental that there there you can't really there is no reality that's outside consciousness so everything happens within um experience essentially mm. So I think one of the most common objections that you'd see intuitively is you'd be like, well, this computer that I'm looking at isn't mental or that rock isn't mental or like things like that. So how do you look at that as an idealist? Well, I would say that what you're looking at. So actually, it's funny because I have an argument. Um, I have a really long argument that basically shows that um, we, we have no justification. We have no we have no good reason to think that there is a um, a material world in that sort of way. Mm. Um, and there's a lot of things you, so if you want, if I can go over it, but as an idealist, I don't really consider that a good objection because the computer, the rock that's still experienced, right? So that's still within experience. Like you can't conceive of something that's outside of experience. Cause that's, that's an abstraction, right? Mm. Um, you can't con like, if we're just taking our perceptions, for example, that's still perceived in a way that um, the physical world, you know, it appears to us physical. And I could get more into that later. But the reason why I think the world looks to us physical is basically um, what's called, well, there's two different types, two different ways you can describe it. So the first way is you can go Donald Hoppins route, which he basically says that, uh, the physical world is basically just a fitness landscape. So in other words, just it's, they're just there to help us survive. But then another way you could go about it is to basically say that um, we're using the long, we're using um, the wrong language to describe material objects. So when we're talking about a computer or a rock, um, it's based. The reason why we think it's outside consciousness is not because it is outside consciousness, rather because we have a certain language that describes it as if it were outside consciousness. Um, and so again, go back to my, what I said earlier, which is basically that the world out there, so to speak, is still a thought. So that rock that you pick up, that's still an idea. That's still a mm. thought, right? It still is created from some sort of mind, right? Mm. Um, it just seems to us like it's outside. Now it's true that yes, that rock is outside of our minds. In other words, that rock is a transpersonal thought. Right. Um, but it's not something that exists outside of all minds, essentially. Mm. Um, so that's that's the important distinction we have to we have to draw. So, yeah, yeah thanks for bringing that up. Um, so a couple of questions I have from that. So I'm guessing you would say that rock doesn't have a mind, this rock that we're theorizing about here. No, I would say the rock is a thought. 
right? Mm -hmm. um, so it doesn't have a mind of its own, obviously. Um, but it would have, well, it is, it's still a mental substance, essentially. Mm -hmm. So everything we experience is still mental, right? Mm -hmm. And I actually have an argument, um, it's called the casual closure argument. And it basically demonstrates that uh, if casual closure is true, and if consciousness is irreducible, then idealism would also, would, would just logically follow from those two uh, principles. Um, and basically the idea is, you know, if everything interacts if everything that interacts in the world is the same substance and if consciousness cannot be reduced to something else, then therefore all that really exists are mental things. Mm. Um, so, so yeah. Yeah. So I feel like you see, so you're talking about this rock, obviously it doesn't have a mind. We have a mind, um, but it, it exists in a sense in our minds because we're the ones that are perceiving it. But with that, that rock, you would also say has physical properties as well. Right. Right, but I would say the the reason why it has physical properties, um, well, even I mean, e even if we're just talking about physical properties themselves, I would say that physical properties are simply just the extrinsic appearance of mental um, phenomena, right? Um, again, it's still out there, so the rocks still exist independently of whether you and I look at it. It's just it it doesn't exist in a physical form, um, and this is something where I think quantum mechanics, I think physics itself has um forced me into that direction um but yeah so mm. so would you say that with no mind like if there was no mind there'd just be no reality is that kind of where you, your view draws you to yeah um so basically if, if there is no if there's no foundation or if there's no foundational mind um that grounds reality then there then there is no reality at all um mm. so yeah. So I, I think I know the answer to this question, but I think one of the common questions you'd say is what about before there were humans? Like, wouldn't there be no minds? So there would be no reality then? And I, I think I see a lot of issues with that reasoning, but that's something that I've definitely seen drawn up in conversations like this with talking about things like idealism. Right. So that is a good, um, I guess, question. I wouldn't call it an objection per se, but let me see if I can, because I did... I know Bernard Kastrup as well as other idealists have um, addressed this specific objection before. Um, let me see if I can find. Okay. So let's see. Okay. So this is what, so the objection, or I guess the question you just brought up is called the cosmological history objection. Basically that since the universe existed before conscious life arose, then it is implausible that the universe exists in consciousness. Now, mm -hmm. The assumption is that consciousness or raw experience only arises with biology. However, biology is just the extrinsic appearance of personal psyches. It is not the origin of experience itself. There was universal consciousness before these alters arose, and it's plausible that due to fine-tuning that universal consciousness had awareness to create life. Um, so basically, I would, I guess my response to that sort of thing is, again, there's still a reality outside of our minds. So of course there was you know, a world before we existed, right? It's just that world is still mental. That world um, still had transpersonal thoughts. Um, and so, yeah, that's <laughs> that's basically the idea behind it. So, Yeah, so I think this is a good transition because obviously, you know, we're both theists, so we'd say that there was still a mind um, before we existed, um, namely God or dispute, whatever you want to call right. um, Yahweh in the Bible. Um, so... Let's talk about, we have this idea, and, there's, and I think there's very strong I, arguments that would kind of 
debunk physicalism, which we'll get to in the next segment. Um, but for now, how do we get from this idea that uh, we have a mind, um, it can't be reduced to matter, um, therefore uh, there's a there, there's a great a greatest conceivable mind or something along those lines. Like, how do we get to there? Um, well, I think it's just a, I think it would just be an inference, right? Um, so if all is mental, right, then there would have to be some sort of, um, and again, these, the, I think this could go to the arguments for idealism, right? So I have a few of them. I don't know if you want to, if you want me to, to go over some of them, but. You do have an argument for about everything, I feel like, so. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do. Well, not everything, but yeah. But um, hmm. if you have like a short argument that think that you think will fit well, feel free to bring it in. So okay, so let me let me see if I can find it. Okay, so I have one argument. It's called what's well, it's it's it's, it's the uh, introspective argument, but I kind of modified it a little bit to make it a little stronger than the original version. Um, so it goes like this: premise one, experience exists. Premise two. If there exists a physical world beyond experience, then there would be no observed correlations between states of experience and the brain. Premise three, there are observed correlations between states of experience and the brain. Therefore, there does not, a, there does not exist a physical world beyond experience. Therefore, all is experience. Now, the only premise I really need to defend is premise two. Mm -hmm. um, so, there, so this premise, I would say, is supported by two facts. So number one, that subjective consciousness is purely privately accessible and ex examinable in terms of introspection. And then the second, uh, the second, I guess, fact I would say defends this premise would be that objective brain activity is purely a public accessible thing. Um, it is not exam It is not examinable by introspection alone. So no matter, so I guess just to give you a little, um, I guess, intuitive way to think about it. So no matter how much you introspect, no matter how deep you will, no matter how deep you 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 think, you will never encounter one objective cell, one objective drip of water, or any objective neural activity. Such a thing would not even make sense, as it is a subjective examination of a subjective domain. Also, no matter how much you indirectly infer about my consciousness from the brain activity, you will never actually find one subjective dream mountain, one subjective illusion, or one subjective wild imagination in the brain. Such a thing will not even make sense. That is not as it is an objective examination of an objective domain. Thus, if there is a physical world beyond experience, then our internal worlds of consciousness are cut off from the external, from, you know, the external physical world. But yet, if the physical world is completely cut off world, then there will be no influence between these two things at all. And thus premise two um, just follows from that. Mm -hmm. um, so it's basically taking the idea that um, if, if there, because there are correlations between brain activity and experience, but also because um, you can't describe one or the other, then therefore there, there has to be, it all has to be within experience, right? Because again, we're talking about experience. So we're talking about our thoughts, right? So when, we, when we're introspecting, um, we are experiencing that, those thoughts. And then, as, and then the same thing when we experience the physical world, those, that's all still experience, right? Mm -hmm. So why infer anything beyond that, <laughs> right? Um, 
why infer that there's anything beyond experience? And I think it's just, I think the simplest explanation is that that's all that really exists is experience. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. It's, I think it's syllogism as well. Transfer to physicalism. Also, I'm saying um, thank you, Sehi Fredo, for the super chat. We'll get to that question at the end. Um, we are going to be doing some Q&A at the end as we transition here into talking about physicalism. Um, I just want to say if you enjoy the show, please consider supporting the show. You can support at patreon.com slash adhereandapologetics, or you can become a member or super chat, all that fun stuff. Um, let's talk about physicalism because I think – well, actually, one more question before we get into physicalism. Do you think that if idealism is true, do you think that it leads to theism and there's no way around that? Or could you be like an atheistic idealist or something along those lines? I think it's it's possible to be um, an atheistic idealist. Um, hmm. I guess the best way to go about that would be you would have to accept like McTaggart's um, theory of so he was an idealist, but he was he was also an atheist. So his hypothesis was that all that exists is not one universal mind; rather, all that exists are persons. And these persons are basically eternal persons, and they just, you know, they interact in this complex system um, that we call reality. Um, and so you could accept some form of idealism while also not believing in a universal mind. But then, you know, if that's the case, I would just say that it's not as simple. It's not, then it's not a simple hypothesis anymore, right? Mm. Um, because why, you know, if, if, why posit all these different minds, all these eternal minds, if we only really need one mind to explain everything? Um, it just, you know, it, does, it doesn't really make any sense. So, um, so yeah. I mean, you could. It's just I would say that it's. It, I, I think it's ad hoc, but you know, mm. it is what it is. So, <laughs> it is what it is. And ad hoc. Just for someone who doesn't know what ad hoc is, can you just explain that very briefly? Yeah, just ad hoc means like you're positing more than you really need to. Um, so like if like for example, I guess a good quick analogy would be if, if something fell in my closet, like a box, I could assume that there was a cat in there, but then if I found no evidence for a cat, then you know, why assume that there's a cat? In the same way, um, if there's you know, if, if there isn't if there is a world out there, right? And if that world's mental and if we can't control it, then there must be something that controls it. Right, and the simplest hypothesis is simply that um, there's one universal mind that contains all, all those mental things. So, um, mm. yeah, yeah, good stuff, man. Um, so let's talk about physicalism a little bit. Um, let's just revisit the definition of physicalism again. So, can you just talk about very briefly, like what is physicalism again, in case someone forgot? So yeah, physicalism um, is basically that all is physical. That even consciousness itself is either like a result of brain activity or it's it's like an emergent phenomenon from the brain or whatever um so yeah i mean that there okay so i guess i guess if you if you were to compare it basically say that there is a world outside of consciousness mm -hmm. and then consciousness comes from that world outside consciousness mm -hmm. um so so yeah um that that there is a reality outside consciousness and then our consciousness comes from whatever is outside consciousness. Um, mm. So that's, that's physicalism for mm. you. So there's obviously a lot that can be said here about physicalism. Um, so just, I think, I think at first it's very intuitive. Like before I studied these things, it makes sense that consciousness comes from our brain. 
Um, but take a few minutes to just kind of highlight some of the, like the bigger problems that you see with physicalism and why you're kind of convinced that you think the theory just fails regarding philosophy and mind. Well, the biggest problem with physicalism is what's called the hard problem of consciousness. Um, and the hard problem of consciousness is like, I don't, I don't really see how any physicalist could really solve it. Um, even in principle could solve it. Um, so I guess just kind of highlight a few things with, with, with regards to that. So if you take a second and think about your own consciousness as if it is another thing, you cannot fully contain it in a one in a single thought because you are currently conscious of your own consciousness. So your consciousness extends beyond what you can know. In other words, you can never step outside of what it is to be conscious. All thoughts and experience happen in consciousness. So um, I guess that's just to point out that if there is a reality outside consciousness, we, we don't have access to it. Like there is no conceivable way to step outside um, our, our own experiences, right? Um, so then it goes into things like, um, you know, there's, I mean, okay, so just, just to highlight a few, a few, a few problems. So one problem I, I see with it um, is that, and this relates to the hard problem. So when you, when you have a belief, like let's say if, if you have the belief that, um, that, the, that the earth is a globe, right? That belief is in your mind, according to physicalism, it has to be in your brain somewhere, right? But we don't talk about brain function as if it were, um, as if they're true or false, right? Um, which, you know, we, we just talk about it as, as a function, right? So there's nothing in your brain that, uh, that says that your belief in a globe earth is true or false. Um, there's this, you know, again, if we're describing purely objective terms, we can't describe subjective phenomena th through objective terms. Um, and it's just, it just goes into absurdity. And then another problem related to that is what's called the location problem, which is basically that if all that exists is physical, then there must be always be some sort of spatial location by which it exists, right? Like your computer, so let's just say that your your uh, computer is physical. So your computer exists in a particular space, so to speak. It exists somewhere. Well, thoughts, they don't actually exist really anywhere in our brain, right? So when you have a thought, you can't open up someone's brain and like find someone's thought. Um, it's just, it's again, it's just pure um, nonsense. Um, and then another thing I want to point out would be that... Um, let's see. I'm trying to look at my notes real quick. But, hmm. Okay, so the hard problem, I would say, goes it goes beyond um, what we can talk about. It goes beyond the functions of the brain. Because we're talking about experience itself. Like, why does a particular brain function have to be accompanied by some type of experience? Um, there's just no theory that can really link the two together. And then I also want to point out that I, I developed, well, I didn't develop the argument, but I kind of found it. Um, so this is an argument that shows, I guess, that uh, that theories which try to have subjects emerge from objects are fallacious. Um, so let me just kind of briefly go over what I mean by this theory. So the subject is the aperture from, from which the object presents itself as an object for a subject. As such, it is more correct to say that every known object is not unconditional, absolutely independent, 
and externally related to phenomena in a knowing subject. Indeed, every object is always apprehended as an object for a subject. It is therefore impossible in principle for any theory to demonstrate how a subject can arise from a mere object, which is absolutely independent of a subject. Because a mere object that is absolutely independent of a subject is not only absolutely inconceivable, but it is unanalyzable in principle. So again, if we're talking about a world beyond experience, you can't actually examine someone's brain as if you were examining it outside of experience, right? So again, I guess it goes back to the whole concept that you, you can't, it, it's basically like, it, it's like you're trying to um, take nails and trying to make a cake from nails. Like you just can't do it. Um, there's, there's just no, there's no way logically conceivable you can do it. Um, and then I, I also have an argument for why any theory which tries to um, get an object from a subject is, no, sorry, a subject from an object um, is fallacious. So premise one, an object's features are either subjective relative or subjective independent. Premise two, an object's subjective independent features have their conceptual content grounded in the object's subject related features. Conclusion, therefore an object's features are either subjective relative or have their conceptual contents grounded in the object's subjective relative features. Premise three, the only way to explain the emergence of a subject from an object will be to explain the emergence of a subject from an object in terms of the object's subjective independent features. Therefore, the only way to explain the emergence of a subject from an object would be to explain the emergence of a subject from an object in terms of features that have their conceptual contents grounded in the object's subjective relative features. Premise four, to explain the emergence of a subject from an object in terms of features that have their conceptual content around the object subject relative features is visually circular. Therefore, the only way to explain the emergence of a subject from an object is visually circular. If an explanation is visually circular, then it is fallacious. Therefore, the only way to explain the emergence of a subject from an object is fallacious. Um, so it's basically, you just can't, I, again, <laughs> um, I know that that argument is probably really hard for most people to understand. Um, but it's basically just demonstrating that you can't take something that's independent of an object. So in other words, we can't talk about a physical brain um, in the physicalist sense, because if we're talking in terms of physicalism, we have to assume that there's this brain that exists independent of subject. And then we can't say that that thing that's independent of a subject can give rise to um, an actual subject. Um, there's always going to be any explanation you give is going to be uh, viciously circular. So, uh, so yeah. Hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff. There's so much information that you're bringing here, Kyle. And I'm thankful for people like you that know this stuff because I don't know a lot about this topic. Um, so I'll throw a couple of more common objections that I see at you, and then we'll kind of go to the live chat and we'll kind of wrap things up here. So uh, I think obviously the biggest objection that we see whenever we try to go beyond physicalism is the idea of the brain. Like we only have this idea of conscious experience with our brains. Like I wasn't conscious before I was born or I wasn't conscious until – I think it's like six or seven months after you're conceived that you start to have conscious experiences. So it seems like consciousness comes through the brain. So yeah. wouldn't consciousness just come through the brain then? Well, no, because again, we're talking uh, under idealism. Um, the brain is the extrinsic appearance of consciousness. So basically consciousness is fundamental to the brain. So it's not like the brain started off unconscious and then somehow created our consciousness. Right. Rather, our brain is basically the extrinsic appearance of our what 
well, this is probably not the best way to say it, but basically our disassociated um, conscious in our life. Because if, if everything's, you know, if everything's consciousness, right, then we would basically be um, disassociated alters. Um, basically a cutout or, you know, some people call it submergence, but that's, that's a whole complex other topic. But, uh, you know, you have to think within the logic of idealism. So uh, the, in, in the logic of idealism, we would expect there to be correlations between the mind and the brain because the brain is the extrinsic appearance of uh, your conscious inner life. Right? What's, what does that mean? Um, just in case someone's like, what, what's that? It mean that your brain's the extrinsic appearance. It's what your brain activity, I guess it's what your mental activity looks like from a third person perspective, basically. Okay. Because if everything's mental, um, then I guess you could say that everything is kind of like, that everything in the universe is sort of mental activity, right? And then when we look at that mental activity, that's what it, the physical world is, what mental activity looks like from a third person perspective, which is from our perspective, right? Um, and then it's the same thing. When I look at your brain, I'm looking at your conscious inner life from my perspective. Now, of course, from your perspective, it's different, right? Because, you know, you're you're the subject itself. But from my perspective, because I'm not you, I'm going to be seeing it a little differently. Um, and so you could say, I guess if you were to simplify it a little bit, you would. I would say that uh, the universe, um, when we look out in the universe, we're seeing the extrinsic appearance of um, non-disassociated conscious inner life. And then when I look at someone's brain, I'm looking at a disassociated or the extrinsic appearance of a disassociated um, conscious inner life. Um, so because again, everything's mental, right? So everything we look at is gonna is gonna represent um, it's gonna be a representation of mental processes, right? Um, but of course, when we're looking at you know a brain, um, that's a that's a different type. It's still mental, but it's a different type of mental activity. Um, so that's basically how how it uh, all works. So. Mm. So, one last question here, and then we'll probably go to some Q and A. Um, so, what about brain damage? Because I think this is one of the most common things that you'll see bring up is you know someone has some sort of like brain damage, and all of a sudden their conscious experience changes. Um, so, conscious seem to be from a physicalist perspective almost through that objection is what people would argue. So, how do you look at things such as like brain damage? Let me see. Why is okay? There we go. Okay, so. I actually have this in my notes. So like you brought up, we know that head trauma and the use of drugs can highly influence and change how one's conscious inner life is. And so evidence prefers that there is something outside conscious. So that's the objection, right? Mm -hmm. um, now we explain, now I just wanna make a few points clear on this. So number one is that private minds are disassociated alters of universal consciousness. And the world around us is also the extrinsic appearance of universal consciousness. However, there is something that alters look like from a second point of view, and this would be the brain. Since the brain is the is limited and only has, you know, it has this sort of boundary, right? Um, then it is the extrinsic appearance of localized, disassociated aspect of universal consciousness. Now, again, outside of all the alters, so outside our minds, there's still a reality out there, right? Now, any physical interference with the brain is the extrinsic appearance of mentality external to an alter that disrupts the inner experience of the alter from a causes boundary. To make it more intuitive, so this is kind of like an intuitive way to think of it, about it. 
So our thoughts always disrupt our emotions and vice versa. And on a daily basis, for the same reason that thoughts disrupt the emotions, then physical interference with the brain disrupts um, and alters in our life. And since everything is mental, right, then this is what we should expect. Because again, if everything's mental, like if the world out there is mental, then if transpersonal thoughts hits my brain, my brain, guess what? It's also mental. So of course it's going to affect it just in the same way that, you know, our thoughts will disrupt our emotions and our emotions will disrupt our thoughts. Different types of thoughts can have different effects on different thoughts. So too, transpersonal thoughts will have an effect on our thoughts because it's both the same substance. Um, they're both this, fundamentally, they're both the same thing. Um, the only difference really is that the world out there are transpersonal thoughts and then the world, you know, in our minds are basically, you know, our personal thoughts. Um, so, I mean, you know, I, n I never really understood that. I think if 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 someone's going to make that type of objection, they don't they don't really understand what idealism is. Um, and I, honestly, I think that's probably like one of the worst objections because it it just has a fundamental misunderstanding of what the position actually says. Um, so I guess just to kind of summarize a little bit, so. Just as the universe is the extrinsic appearance of universal consciousness, so is the brain also the extrinsic appearance of someone's inner life. And if all is in consciousness, then only mentality can interfere with mentality. So again, if everything is mental, then, you know, of course, transpersonal thoughts out there are going to affect my thoughts. So, um, so yeah. <laughs> well, I think you just got debunked because Stoneman says all the evidence supports phys physicalism, every bit of it. You just yeah, it. yeah. Sure. <laughs> we just wasted 40 minutes, I guess. Um, yeah. One last thing that I'm going to throw in here before we go to some, some Q&A. Um, I get a lot of comments on TikTok from physicalists. So if you're going to give, if you had 200 characters to say why physicalism is wrong, what would you say? Um... Well, I mean, I have a few arguments that would be more than 200 characters, but I would just I would just say that you have to look at, I guess, my biggest, I mean, other than the hard problem of consciousness, my other big issue with physicalism would be that when you compare it to idealism, it's just, it's just really bad. Um, so, you know, like, it, it's kind of like, you have to assume that there's something out there that's outside of experience. And then on top of that, you also have to assume that um, that thing that's outside of experience that we have no access to is somehow generating our experience. So it's, a, you know, it's just a vicious abstraction. Um, it's just visually, it's, yeah, it's just a vicious abstraction. Um, so, so yeah, I'll just refer them, I guess, to the hard problem and then kind of break down sort of why the theory itself is just completely absurd once you think about it more. So, uh, so yeah. Good stuff. Let's go to some Q&A. Uh, we'll probably see if you guys have questions or thoughts you want to grill Kyle, go for it. We we'll probably have like 15 or 20 minutes of Q&A. Uh, first question of Super Chat from Sehefredo Sarabia says, if mental process of individuals, why no sophism? Do you know Solipsism. Yeah. Um, let me see here. So idealism does not accept. Okay, so I just want to make this clear that idealism does accept that there is a world beyond our minds, right? Um, the only difference is that the world beyond our minds is 
or the, yeah, the world beyond our minds or personal psyches is, is either other minds. So it's in other words, it's like other minds out there or universal consciousness itself by which the whole universe is, is, is the uh, extrinsic appearance of universal consciousness. So uh, the reason why it's not solipsism is again, there's still a world out there. It's just that world out there is still mental. Um, and that's what we need to keep in mind that there, there is an objective reality out there. Uh, it's just that that objective reality is still mental. It's still, it still has the same, it, it, it's basically um, the world out there is still fundamentally the same. Um, it has, it's the same type of world within our own minds. Like we have thoughts, right? Um, it's just the world out there. There's also thoughts. There's, you know, transpersonal thoughts. Um, so that's basically the idea. Hmm. Uh, another super chat. Thank you for the super chat um, from Zahifredo. He says, if there's something outside consciousness, what's fundamental if no longer mind is dependent on it? Is it not having access unjustifiable if it's mental? Hmm. I don't know. What does he mean by trying to understand what isn't having access? I think he's talking about like the idea that there's no empirical evidence of something beyond the brain producing consciousness, maybe like a lot of times well, you'll see there's no evidence for the soul. Well, here's the thing we need to understand is um, we can't have metaphysical certainty, right? Um, so I like, I, I admit that idealism could be wrong. There could be a world beyond consciousness, right? Um, we're never going to have um, metaphysical certainty. There's always going to be, this sort of uncertainty in regards to the ultimate nature reality, right? Um, so I do admit that um, there could be a world outside consciousness, right? But the question is, is it simple? Like, is that a good hypothesis? And I don't think it is. I think once we really think about it, I don't I don't really see why we, we don't need to posit a world outside consciousness. If we can explain everything in terms of consciousness, I don't really see why we need to infer something that's beyond consciousness. Um, and not only that, but I mean, even if there was something beyond consciousness, we couldn't really know about it. We couldn't have access to it. Um, so um, I, I just, you know, I mean, if you want to posit a world outside consciousness, that's that's fine. But I, I just don't. I think it's. I think it's just more simple to go with that. All that really exists is consciousness. So, um, yeah. Uh, next question, another super chat from Sifredo. Thank you so much. Um, says, if you say something can't be reduced to matter, how can you be an idealist, um, much less Christian, without dualism that's evidence that there are physical things? Well, okay, so let me, hmm. This is, interesting. This is an interesting question because there is a type of idealism that could be compatible with dualism. And the basic idea would be like, it would, it would go like this. So under idealism, um, the fundamental nature of reality is consciousness. Now, let's just say that's true. However, we could also say that there is a physical world, right? That there is a, but this physical world um, is strongly emergent. So it's kind of like taking a strong emergent approach and then like turning it into an idealist position. So um, under physicalism or under a physicalist strong emergence, you would say that the physical is fundamental and then the mind is strongly emergent. Or you could also say under idealism that the mental is fundamental and then the physical world is strongly emergent um, from this fundamental mental thing, 
Um, and I think that is an interesting position to take because I would actually say that pretty much all Christian, well, most Christians that aren't idealists are probably some form of what's called a strong emergent idealist, where you basically say that the fundamental nature reality is God, or in other words, it's just a mind, right? But then the physical world that we experience is strongly emergent from that fundamental um, mental reality, which we call God. Um, and I would say like pretty much anyone that's a Christian, but also doesn't call themselves an idealist would, would probably fit into that camp where you basically say that uh, matter as we perceive it cannot be reduced to mind. So in other words, that matter is not the extrinsic appearance of um, mental activity, but rather matter itself could be strongly emergent from mental activity. So in other words, that the world is still contingent on God. On God, So basically the world can't really exist without God being there to give it existence, in other words. Um, so that's, that's an interesting view that I think, uh, I guess, kind of bridges the gaps between the uh, substance dualist and um, the idealist like me, is I think a good middle ground would be to say, um, that there is a physical world, right? And this physical world, we cannot reduce this physical world um, to the mind, but this physical world is still strongly emergent um, from the mind of God. And I think that's a good, um, I think that's a good approach to take, so. Hmm. So Ramon the Large says, I hear, I always hear atheists bring up this argument about how if you cut the brain in half or do damage to it, it should damage the soul as well. Um, I guess we kind of talked about this earlier, but if you have any additional thoughts, what are your thoughts on this, Kyle? Well, again, I mean, just talk about what I went earlier with brain damage. I mean, of course, if you damage the brain, you're going to damage the mind because you're basically taking a transpersonal thought, which is a physical object, and then affecting someone's um, physical, I mean, mental mind, <laughs> if you want to call it that. Because, um, again, if everything's mental, um, then, of course, we should expect... Um, there to, you know, the mental affect the mental, right? Uh, I think we just need to understand that the physical world out there is itself mental. And I think once we understand that the physical world out there is mental, then we we should expect that uh, brain damage will affect the mind in some way. Because um, that's just, that's just, again, we have to think within the logic of idealism. If we think in terms of idealism, then idealism predicts that brain activity is going to affect the mind. Um, and that includes, you know, split brain patients and, you know, all that other stuff. So, uh, so yeah. Uh, JMD Apologetics says, why does Kyle take theist words over scientist words? <laughs> yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, um, yeah, who cares what that John Dunphy guy has to say? He takes man's word over God's word. Um, so there's a couple questions about how this would affect the incarnation. Um, I don't know how you, if you have any views on this, but it talks about um, if God is simply a mind, um, then what, what did he take on in the incarnation? Well, hmm, I was going to, I, it's funny because um, this is actually related. So I think the incarnation has more to do with redeeming us from sin, right? Um, so I think the incarnation has to do more specifically with um, saving mankind from sin, right? Um so that's a whole different topic, which we could get into at another time. But um, I think I still like, for example, I still would accept that you you still need like the son of God 
in order to save mankind from sin. Now, what is sin? Well, if you want to understand my concept of sin, um, if you go to my channel, I have a quantum hermeticism series, and there's videos number eight, as well as I think six, yeah, 16. Um, if you watch those videos, um, you'll understand that uh, sin, I think, has to do with uh, what's called fractured consciousness, which I'm not going to get into now, but um, I have a whole metaphysical way of kind of explaining like the fallen state and all that other stuff. And I, I do think that uh, you would need the incarnation because that's you would, God would basically have to take on some human nature um, in order to, I guess, make the bridge between us and God. Um, so I didn't really explain the incarnation in the video, but if you want to understand, I guess, kind of the, the, uh, some of the metaphysics behind it, you can watch those videos. Um, mm -hmm. so yeah. Yeah. If you don't aren't subscribed to your Christian ideal, subscribe to Christian idealism. There's a link in the description. Really good stuff from Kyle. Really smart guy. Has an argument for everything. Uh, question here from Nick Quinn. What's up, Nick? Uh, he says, but what if the new Testament teaches physicalism? Well, I don't, I don't, I don't think it would. Um, because again, we're talking about a fundamental mind like God that created reality. So if God is the foundation for reality, if, if reality can't exist without God, if God created the world, I don't, I don't really see how that's physicalism, right? Because, um, because you still have fundamental mentality, right? And that, that would be God. Um, so I, I just, I mean, here's the thing. There are some interesting arguments for physicalism, um, but it has nothing to do with God, right? So it has nothing to do with whether God's consciousness came from something else. Rather, it has to do um, with whether or not human consciousness came from something else. Um, and there, and again, there are some pretty interesting arguments for that. Um, but I think all those passages have are, are better explained uh, if we talk the mind in terms of the ego. So in other words, if we're talking about the soul, we're talking about someone's um, emotions, thoughts, feelings, etc., cetera, um, as well as memories, right? Um, but we're not talking about their consciousness themselves. So we're not talking about the conscious mind. Rather, we're talking about the ego or the soul, which is someone's personality, someone's thoughts, emotions, um, all, all those things. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I am aware that there are some Christian physicalists out there, right? But I think those passages, again, can be better explained um, if we make a distinction between the uh, conscious mind and the soul. So, uh so yeah. Some random says, um, put someone in an F fMRI machine and you can see the neurons firing. So I think it would kind of be like an argument that consciousness comes as a emergent state of the brain. Yeah, I, I don't again you can't you can't infer causation from correlation. So yes, there are correlations between someone's uh neurons and someone's mental activity. But again, if you think within the logic of idealism, we would expect that because the mind, or the well, in this case, the brain, is the extrinsic appearance of the mind. So when I'm looking at your brain or your neurons, I'm looking at the extrinsic, the extrinsic appearance of uh, your conscious inner life. So, um, so yeah. Uh, Stelman Smith Jr., the unapologetic apologist. Shout out to him. Go subscribe to the unapologetic apologist if you haven't already. He says Sam Harris wrote about the possibility of a three-day-old fetus possessing a soul. But if it splits into twins, does the soul split into two? Then he says that souls don't make any sense. Well, again, we need, again, I think we need to understand what, so I make a distinction between, I do the same thing Michael Jordan does, which is there's a distinction between 
a conscious mind and a soul. So a soul is something that grows over time. So a fetus, right, doesn't really have, I mean, it has a soul, but not in any developed sense, right? Um, so if, if there was a, if there was two twins that split, um, they could, I think they, I think they split the, uh, the same, I guess you could say that uh, they, they had the same conscious mind, but then it kind of split into two, right? Um, and then of course the soul, they could develop different types of souls because, you know, there's still two different people. Um, so yeah, I would have to think about that more, but it is interesting that, uh, I do think it's possible to, I guess, split a soul or split a conscious mind in that way. Um, so, so yeah, but I don't, I wouldn't really see how, um, so again, I don't, I don't think Sam Harris really understands what we mean by soul because, when we're talking about souls, we're not talking about the conscious mind, so to speak. We're talking more about like someone's personality, emotions, feelings, and all that stuff. So, yeah. Um, some random says earlier you're talking about not using ad hoc arguments, but that's exactly what you're doing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I I have an argument that's like forty premises long, and oh, that's just ad yeah, no. <sighs> If you think if you think that Kyle is ad hocing this, please Facebook message him or something because Kyle has an argument for like everything. Um, let's close with this question if I can find it. It's really a question, just kind of like recommending resources because obviously there's a lot of information you brought up here. Um, can't find it, but the question was like for someone who has no idea about this philosophy of mind stuff and wants to look into it. Um, what are some of the resources you recommend? It was a question from Benjamin Bethel. Thank you, Benjamin. There's a lot of books I recommend. Um, so just to get into general philosophy of mind, um, I would say this book by David Chalmers, Character of Consciousness. And then The Conscious Mind by the same author. Now, I would recommend you read this one first and then the next one, but it doesn't really matter. Um, and then I would also recommend... Um, Mind and Cosmos by Thomas Nagel. And then if you want to get to arguments for, well, actually, I have three books on idealism. Um, so you got this one, which just came out like a few years ago. It's called Idealism, New Essays in Metaphysics. And then you got The Idea of the World by Bernardo Kastrup. And then you got The Case Against Reality by Donald Hoffman. Um, and then another really good one, which I, I actually didn't finish yet because it's pretty big called the irreducible mind now i'm not sure if they're idealists but they do um critique a lot of the uh theories in neuroscience at least the uh, physicalist theories in neuroscience and if you want to i guess understand why physicalism has problems with even within neuroscience you can read this work um and understand i guess the arguments and the and the type of evidence that um would make physicalism problematic um but yeah those are my main resources. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Kyle, lots of great stuff you bring up, man. Really appreciate this time. Any kind of like last thoughts that you want to bring up before we wrap things up here? No, I mean, I guess, I guess just, you know, go to my channel, watch some of my videos. If you have any questions, um, let me know. I mean, again, I have, you know, the arguments that I presented today are only a, f only a tiny fraction of the uh, large amount of arguments that I have for idealism. So I have about 18 arguments for idealism. Mm -hmm. um, it's, now, some of them aren't exactly arguments for idealism, but they do 
they do argue uh, like against the reality of space and time. Um, but most of them are direct arguments for idealism, which I didn't get into today because take way too way too much time. But um, there are really good there are really good reasons to be idealist, and I think you know I recommend just everyone just if you have any questions again just let me know, watch my videos, and um, so yeah. The great philosopher of mine, Tom Jump, once said, "Google it." So. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah, Kyle. Great stuff, man. I'm going to be sure to share your channel on all my social media stuff because you have some really good stuff. Really smart guy. Go check out Christian Idealism, Kyle Allender. Thanks for doing this, Kyle. Really appreciate your time, man. Learned so much in just such a short amount of time. All right. All right. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. This is it here in Apologetics. I hope you enjoyed. If you enjoy us, please share to be sure to subscribe. You can leave a like. If you enjoy us, you can support us at patreon.com slash here in Apologetics for as little as a dollar a month. Thank you for everyone who tuned in. Some random Kelvy, the unapologetic apologist, Benjamin Bethel, and Sidney Fredo for super chats. Um, that's it. Have a good one, guys. God bless.